day number whatever it is here at the Wrangler National Finals Road. I have no idea at this point. I think it's day six. Day six, is that right? A, a guy in the audience tells me it's day six, and then he questions his own numbers. So day seven, I think it's Wednesday, whatever it is. Uh, excited about another day here in Las Vegas. I'm excited about another episode of the podcast presented by Bullfighters Only. Again, best bullfighters in the world taking on some of the most fierce animals on the planet. It happens at Resorts World Pavilion Thursday, Friday, Saturday of the final weekend of the Wrangler National Finals. This lady's looking at me, shaking her head. She got a bad look on her face. Everything okay? It doesn't doesn't really doesn't really matter at this point. Um, but excited about today. I can honestly say my favorite Canadian I've ever had on the podcast today. To out, of be, how, out of how many? <laughs> to be completely honest, you're my first Canadian I've ever had on the podcast today. But Corb Lund, join us, Corb. Um, I, I don't even. I don't want to pigeonhole you as country music. I, how how do you? How would you sit, put yourself out there? I mean, because I don't look at your music as country. I don't look at it as folk. Like, what? How would you exp- explain it? I usually call it Western music with a little hair on it. There. Oh, I, I like that actually. Maybe yeah. a little whiskey in it too. Yeah, maybe. I think I've had this conversation with a number of people, but they say that in the fifties. Country music and Western music were two different genres. Yep. Like country music is Appalachian music in Tennessee and Kentucky. It's got a Scots-Irish feel to it. Yeah. Western music was more cowboy ballads and storytelling out West. And at some point in the 50s, there was a DJ that put them together. It just said, he had a country and Western show. Right. And the, and the, that, the title took off and then it became one thing. But it's never really been one thing. I mean, there's elements of country music in my stuff, but I, I sing about Western themes and rural, rural stuff. You know, and that makes complete sense because when I think of Western music, when I listen to your stuff, I picture being out on a cattle drive and sitting around a campfire and you picking up a guitar, and that's the kind of music that I hear in my head when I listen to you. I mean, that's, that's the picture that's in my mind when you start playing. That's the ideal setting. Really? Yeah. I mean, my favorite way to play music is for 10 or 20 people in a hotel room or something drinking beer. Yeah, but... You know, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand ain't bad either, because they all pay to be there. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, the business side of everything kind of gets in the way sometimes. My uh, most of my most of my songs get debuted every summer at the family reunion around the fire at the ranch. Really? They, they give me straight feedback. That's the toughest critics, the <laughs> oh, people yeah, that actually love you. They're not at all uh, afraid to tell me. <laughs> that, that's that's amazing. Uh, I know you've been busy since you've been here. I, I'm pretty sure I saw you've done rump chat. Did you do Outside the Barrel with Flint? Yeah, I did Flint's show. Um, Lucia. Live with Lucia. Yeah. Like, you've done everything. Making the rounds. Like, it's like I got a new book or something. I know, right? That's what somebody said. You know, is there a new album to promote or anything? And I'm like, no, this is just a guy that, like, all of us are fans of in this industry. Well, it's good for me to get down here because playing Western music in Canada is pretty good for me. But, but uh, the last six or eight years, I've been really trying to get down here a lot more. And NFR is the best place to come for meeting people and all the rodeo committees are here and all the rodeo fans and western music fans are here so it's good and i like life, to get as many people as i can well in this lifestyle and this this fan base this this uh you know this group of people it's almost like they're they're so loyal that's right yeah and that's that's a big difference between the way i approach music and the way that people on mainstream radio appear to approach it to me, because to me, music's pretty sacred. Like, I don't, I don't mess around with, like, when I write stuff, I, I mean it. Like, there's, 
I'm not judging, but the, the way they do it in Nashville, I've had exposure to that, and the way they do, do it in the mainstream world is they get in a room and they bang songs out all day and they bang songs on. They bang. I don't do that. I write songs that mean something to me, and everyone's, every one of them's got to mean something to me. And that's a slower way to build a career, but at the end of it, like you said, like I don't have hardly any casual fans. Either they don't right. know about me or they don't like me or they're fully in, right? right. So I'm, that kind of thing will... Uh, those people aren't fickle. They'll stick around... Those are the ones you want to keep because yeah, those come. are the ones that are going to be there for the long haul. They're going to fully invest in everything you do. Yeah, and honestly, like I grew up in, in a very Western setting. Both sides of the family have been rodeoing and ranching for generations, and I feel like it's just my people, right? So I, I feel really at home singing these songs to audiences of people that understand what I'm singing about. On the other hand, I have a lot of urban audiences members too who don't understand everything I'm singing about. They just like the music, yeah. or they're intrigued by cowboy stuff, but... It's especially fun when I'm playing at an event where I know people are no picking up on all the subtleties of yeah. what I'm writing about. And music for you has changed over the course of your career or since you've been involved in music. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I want to talk first about, you mentioned growing up in, in kind of the Western lifestyle. Take me back to the early days of Corb and what it was like growing up in Canada. Yeah. Well, what part of Canada? Um, Southern Alberta. Okay. Just north, our, my mom's side of the family, our, our place is just, just north of Montana, just north of Sweetgrass. You know Glacier Park? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a Canadian chunk attached to it called Waterton Lakes Park, and, and we're just 20 minutes east of that. So okay. It's pretty country. Beautiful up there. Yeah. So, yeah. Grew up chasing cows and riding steers and bulldogs a little bit in high school. But when I was about 15, I got, to, I got into rock music and ended up in a heavy metal band for a while. <laughs> really? Yeah, like a sped up kind of Black Sabbath Slayer kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was kind of the, the road you were taking. Tell me, tell me if I made this up in my mind. But I think I read somewhere, did you study like jazz? Yeah, yeah. Where did that come from? Well, they didn't have an Iron Maiden school. So, <laughs> so it would have been Iron Maiden if, if that was the option. Yeah, I mean, at the time I didn't, I was 20, I was an idiot, we're all idiots, sort of 20. <laughs> Weren't but, we all? But, uh, yeah, see, jazz has a really, uh, really complex harmonic structure compared to most kinds of music. And at the time I really hated it, didn't like it at all. But now, really? yeah, because it's, it's real heavy stuff yeah. it's it's really in depth you know and at the time i didn't appreciate it i just wanted to rock out but <clears throat> years later as a songwriter now writing country songs western songs uh having a wider appreciate like having a wider palette of, of chords and, and harmonic possibilities available to me to write songs has yeah. been really useful yeah so so you start as a rocker or whatever but before that you kind of mentioned you, you you rodeo you dabbled a little bit in rodeo but yeah. it didn't last long right yeah Mom and Dad both did. Dad was a pro steer wrestler at home, and <clears throat> both my grandpas competed. We have a long history with the Stampede up there in Calgary. Yeah. Grandpa was a judge there for 25 years. Won the all-around in the 30s. Mom win the Stampede? Yeah, she won the barrels in 59, which is the first year they had it, actually. So they, they made her a pioneer of the Stampede. So you kind of gloss over the, the family connection to rodeo for you, but your mom was the first woman to, to win the barrels of the Calgary Stampede. Yep. That's pretty cool. On my grandpa's rope horse. <laughs> oh, really? You don't see that anymore. <laughs> hey, Grandpa was a Hall of Famer, right? Uh, Canadian Rodeo Hall of Famer. The other one on the Lund side. My one of, side. Yeah, but one of your grandpas. So, so right. like you have a lot of this industry embedded into your DNA. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, Grandpa was of the era. He was rodeoing in the 40s when they used to put on shows in Madison Square Garden and, and, and Boston Gardens. And he went over to England and competed in uh, Australia. There was, a, there was a group of guys internationally, Americans and Canadians, that would go and put on these shows out east. He was part of that deal. 
Yeah. I think I think it, I, I think those Eastern shows had a, almost kind of a Wild West show flavor to them. Right. Because it wouldn't it's have been still a, a novelty to some people. Yeah, I mean, people out east at that time wouldn't have been following the standings. Right. They'd just be, oh, there's a guy on a bucking horse. That's right. cool. That's kind of how like my life being in the PBR. Um, I feel like that's the way we are. Because like when we go to Madison Square Garden in New York City. I'm pretty certain that most of those New Yorkers are not following along week to week on who's yeah. who's doing what, but they show up and they love. There's something about this way of life, and I don't mean just rodeo, but I mean wearing a cowboy hat. There's something about a cowboy hat and this this lifestyle that people are just so drawn to. Well, it's an earlier it's an earlier way of living, right? Yeah, it's a historical way of living. I think <laughs> these days, I think it's more and more appealing to people because everything's so screwed up in the world, right? Yep. Everybody wants to be a cowboy. Well, we know how to do stuff, right? Yep. Shoot a deer. And yeah. Survive. Yeah, all that stuff. Get away from all the cra- craziness and chaos of what's happening in the world. Yeah, I think there's an element of that to it. Because I think, yeah, I, I don't know. If there was a big crunch, there'd be a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Because I'm not judging, but right. we all have different skill sets. But there's a lot of people in the city who'd have a real hard time finding food, I think. Yeah. I, no, I completely agree, and it's not, it's not being judgmental or anything. It's the facts of life and the reality that, like, growing up the way we grow up, we just adapt. We, we acquire a certain set of skills that a lot of people don't. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, the whole prepper thing. Yeah. If you're a rural person, you just kind of do that anyway in case yeah. you have a three-week blizzard or something, right? Yeah, right. And I'm, I'm sure you've had your share of being snowed in in oh, Canada. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you you kind of been snowed in as of late, and I don't know. We, we haven't really talked about it, but... Uh, the way the world's been, it's travel has been quite different. So yep. nice to be in the States, nice yeah. to be moving about, I, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. <clears throat> From what I gather, it sounds like I'm, I don't, it wasn't quite as bad up there as the media made it out down here maybe. But, but the Shocker. One, yeah, Shocker. Yeah. The tricky part was, though, going back. Like, it's, it's not that hard to get down here. It's not hard to get back. You just have to get tested both ways. Right. And, if, and if I tested positive going north, I'd have to quarantine for two weeks, and I just haven't. I, I've got stuff to do. I could, yeah, but it, this is worth it because there's so much going on. I'm doing a bunch of shows. It's it's worth it. But I've had I've had some one or two show offers, and it's just not worth the risk. So yeah, it's tough because you're a busy guy back home. You, yeah, you stay you stay pretty busy. Pretty busy. But you've got a, a new tour that's going to be happening here in the states coming up, right? Yeah, in March and April. Yeah, March and that. April. What's it, what's it called? Back to the bar rooms. Back to the bar rooms. I love that. Well, that's a that's a reference to an old Merle Haggard record. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's been a long time. It's been a couple of years since we've been down here. So, and in Canada, we play usually play quite big venues, and we're deliberately playing three or four nights in each town in a smaller venue, right? Just to remind people how much fun it can be to get sweaty and have some, drink some beer and watch music. Man, there's something about that. There's something about live music. I, I love when guys put out live albums because it adds a little bit of that element. There, there's, you know. It's hard for me to listen to the radio a lot these days because, I'll be completely honest with you, there's not a lot of music that really sticks out to me. It's hard to listen to the radio, but I love going and seeing live music. Yeah, yeah, live music is it's almost religious for me. It's right. like there's a, real commu- there's a real group experience thing that goes on, a real communion. It's great. Right. Um, and, and I think what the difference in mainstream, quote-unquote, country and what you do is you remind me of the days of old where every song actually told a story. And I feel like that's what's... I, look, look at me. I'm not a music expert in any stretch of the imagination. I'm a fan. But I think that music is missing those storytellers. And I think you bring that back. Yeah. 
Well, that's, that's what I grew up listening to. Like, my right. favorite record of all time since I was seven years old is Marty Robbins' Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. So good. That's, that's all that is, right? Yeah. And, the, you know, the, I love The Gambler, and I love Johnny Horton, and, yeah, yep. I was always a, a sucker for story songs. And I, I, I find that um, when I sit down to write songs, I don't... Autom- a lot of guys seem to automatically go into the default setting as love song. And I, I don't really... I'll occasionally write something like that, but most of the time I read, there's so many other interesting things in the world to write about. Yeah, uh, okay, so, so is that something, I mean, are, are you a lover? Is that really, like, what you drive towards? What do you mean? When you, when, you, when you start listening to those, you said, you know, it's typically a love song. No, what I was saying is that it seems like a lot of times with songwriters, when they sit down to write a song, that's their default setting. Oh, I gotcha, I so gotcha. let's write another love song. Gotcha. But there's already a million fake love songs in the world, right? Yeah, and there's a million garbage songs that talk about drinking beer and trucks and, true. and all that stuff. But, but like nothing with meaning. Yeah, I like writing about bucking horses. <laughs> yeah, which is so cool because... Chris Ledoux, you know, the, Marty Robbins, like there's people that wrote about that stuff. That's reality to all of us. Yeah. And, and there's no music about it, so you're keeping that alive. It, I think George and Garth were the last guys to have anything on the radio Western right. at all, right? Right. And, and George is never going to change. Yeah. God bless him. He's the king for a reason. <laughs> who were you listening to when you, when you kind of switched into the genre that you're in now? Who, who were the guys that you would go to and that you would turn the volume up well i always like the old guys all the way through like waylon and, and yeah. uh, you know hank and all that stuff but uh, uh i think dwight yokum was a good a good example for me because he was sort of doing a form of country music that was on the fringes but totally his own thing it's not right. the same as what i do but i liked it because it was really unique and he yeah. had he, did, he he always operated kind of on the fringes yep he had success in the music business but he was always on his own trip and and uh very unique so i liked him a lot that's cool because he's one of those guys that, like you said, he was on the fringes, kind of on the edge of mainstream, quote unquote, but stayed the course and became a legend. Yeah. I grew up in Oklahoma. We had so many of those bands, Oklahoma, Texas, that would stay independent. And then after 20 years, you're like, man, they're still as good today as, as they were when they were in, the, in their beginning stages. No big radio hits or anything. They stayed the course and they stayed who they were. Well, you guys have a really unique... Uh, music culture in, in Texas and Oklahoma. It's a cult. I yeah. Mean, it really is a cult. Well, it, it's cool, too, because I find that way more regular people care about music. Like it's, just, it's just embedded in the culture down there more than most places. Like, yeah. the, the average person on the street down there probably knows who half a dozen of the current sort of independent yep. regional bands are, right? At least. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's huge. It's a, it's a completely different culture in the music industry down there than, than it is anywhere else. I, I grew up, you know, in my high school, college days, it was like Cross Canyon Ragweed, Jason Bolin, uh, Turnpike Troubadours. And when they would play in Oklahoma, we're talking 20,000 people at a time. Man, that's really distracting. We're talking 20,000 people at a time. Um, and then I would see where they would go to Montana or New York, and if there were five, 600 people in the crowd, it would be a big crowd. That used to just... Like, it used to piss me off. I'm like, man, why can't I go up there and see some of that stuff? Yeah, well, it's because, I think it's because those people made a choice to operate in that region because it's yeah. their home. And that's kind of what I do, too. Like, I have to, same thing happens to me when I cross the border. I go from a bus to a van sometimes. Right. Which is cool with me. I don't mind. Yeah. But, but um, no, well, but. Staying humble. Yeah. Staying yeah. humble. Keep, keeping a real baby. Yeah. I actually, I actually like small shows better. You know, like you were saying earlier, 
the bigger the show, the better, the better it is for your career and you make more money. But in terms of just sheer fun, like I love playing in a 300-seat bar that's packed. Yeah. It's like a sweaty hockey game, you know? Well, and again, it goes back to you know that those people are there for you. It's not just a, a pass by. Those people are going to continue to hang with you. Yeah, and what the audience feels, like almost everybody would say they'd rather see their band in a small, t- in a small bar. Yeah. It's the same for us. It's just yeah. so much fun. I love acoustic music. That's why I go back to sitting around the campfire. Like, yeah. Those are my favorite moments in music. Yeah, I think, I'm, I'm, I think my next record's going to be all acoustic. Really? And, and not like uh, touchy-feely acoustic, but like, you know, that, you know that Steve Earle record, Train It Coming? Yeah. That's all acoustic. Or, or Guns N' Roses Lies is all acoustic, and Marty Robbins is all acoustic. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool sound. All, I mean, the, the stuff that, like, you enjoy listening to, I enjoy listening to, so put it out there. When I go to listen to podcasts or, or do my podcasts, I try to move towards what I listen to, so you're kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my normal band setup is, you know, I've got an electric guitar and a drummer and right. stuff. And that's, that's our normal sound, but just for fun, I'm going to make a record with nothing but acoustic instruments on it. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And we've, got, a, we've got about nine records, so I'm always looking for ways to switch it up and do something different, too. You, you switched it up on, a, on an album, I think, was it Cover Your Tracks? Was that the name of it? Yeah. Where you did all cover songs? Yeah. And uh, I love your version of Cover the Rolling Stone. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's so, so fun. What what was it that kind of inspired you to do that? Well, from the very first time I heard that song, I always thought it could be a. It's kind of a country song to me. Yeah, it feels like a country song, so we yeah. just countryfied a little bit. Yeah, my buddy Hayes sings on it. Yeah, Hayes I, Carl. I, uh, subtle name drop. Subtle name drop. Subtle yeah. name drop. Hayes Carl. You you guys, you've done several things together. Yeah, I've known him since 2005 or six. I think we met in a card game in Dauphin, Manitoba. Wait, what? Yeah, well, it was after a festival up there. Yeah? We, yeah, we met at a poker game, Omaha poker game. Really? Yeah. I, I think it's weird because, like, to me, that's a fascinating story. You just meet another incredibly talented musician in a card game. We don't really think about things <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like rodeo. Like, there's a lot of extracurricular activity going on afterwards. <laughs> you know? Cole, uh, Cole, yesterday, he was talking about, you know, rodeo athletes come out here for 10 days and people just think that they're totally different than the average human being, but musicians are the same way. Just sometimes turn the volume up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the reason, the reason I got into music was, was to play live for people and to travel and see the world that way, so yeah, it's all part of the deal. Yeah. Um, back to the early stages, rock and roll, then you transitioned into, into the music. What, was it just, was it a maturity level, or, or you changed kind of your taste in music, or what was it? Well, I never stopped liking Western music. I mean, right. I grew up with it. But I think it's just, for me, when you're 14, you grow up in a certain setting, and you just kind of looking for something new, right? Yeah. To me, I thought everybody lived, I, it was, cowboy stuff was just normal to me, right? Right. I thought everyone did that. Right, yeah. And so, you know, when I heard rock and roll music, it was, it was exotic and interesting. So I just dove into it. And, yeah. But um, I was always trying to pigeonhole Western lyrics into the rock songs, too. So that was interesting. But I think you should go back to that. I think you found a whole new niche right there. You just get that rock crowd over to our side of the world. It's funny because in my high school, I was kind of a nerd in high school. Nobody, I, know a lot of, I, don't, I had a few buddies, but they're just my bandmates. And uh, the smart-ass yearbook committee said... 
you know, how they put a quote under your name or whatever, or yeah. a, a prediction. It said, most likely to record a record called Heavy Metal Cowboy. So really, I might have to do that just to spite them. Please do. That's, a, that's actually a great <laughs> title for, uh, for an album. So wait, high school, you, had you started music in high school? A little bit, yeah. And, and it wasn't like everybody just gravitated towards you for it? No, no, it was a real sports-heavy school. Oh, really? Yeah, it was kind of hockey, frankly. Yeah. Hockey, hockey, hockey. So I didn't play hockey much, and I wasn't. Uh, I, I was. I was about a year younger than everybody, so I was kind of a misfit that way too. Yeah. But I think that's why I play music because the the more screwy your your youth is, the more you got to say later. I think. Yeah. For for some people, that's a really tough part of their 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 growing up. Yeah. And it really affects them. Was it tough for you in high school? I wasn't terrible, but I mean, yeah. I just wasn't the you know popular quarterback guy. You know. Yeah. We, I was always on the fringe. Yeah. So, and that's cool. I don't mind. I, I like it. I like being on the fringe. No, I completely get it. But it's funny because now, I, and the reason I bring it up, like some of those tough points in life or some of those points in life where you're just kind of there, you're not the quote unquote cool kid or the popular guy. And then all of a sudden, fast forward a decade later and those same jerks are standing in line. To, hey, remember we went to school together? Well, you know, what was a really satisfying moment was uh, about probably 10 or 12 years after high school, I was playing a big show in Calgary and all of the like the six, five or six hot girls from my high school showed up, and they were all backstage. I was like, I win. <laughs> Hashtag winning. Yeah, absolutely. Took me ten. Yeah, it took me ten, twelve years, but I got there. This is gonna sound really arrogant, but I love when the cool kids from back in the day show up, and they're just they were complete assholes back then, <laughs> and now they're like just trying to brush shoulders with you and they're like hey you know whatever yeah, well, to be honest they weren't they weren't ever jerks to me right i just wasn't i just didn't happen to be in the clique right but it, yeah but uh yeah high school is interesting because that's where i first got really interested in music and i also i read i read like a fiend too a big i read a lot still like what oh all over the shop western stuff but a lot of other stuff too really yeah i like russian authors and i, I read a lot of uh read a lot of um uh history stuff yeah. like nonfiction. And um, I like Hunter Thompson a lot, and I like uh, Margaret Atwood. I mean, yeah. I Are just, you a brainiac? It depends who you ask, I guess. Really? <laughs> I, I remember growing up as a kid, I'd go down. My grandpa had this room kind of off the side of, of the kitchen, and, and, and it was, he had bookshelves. And he had literally every Louis Lamar book ever. <laughs> yeah. It just stacked up. And I remember seeing that collection and, like, opening up and looking at the pictures and, and reading through it. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I've read, read my share of Louis L'Amour. Actually, yeah. I've got a song called Louis L'Amour on my new record. Yeah? Yeah. It's interesting because both of my grandmothers were proper sort of ladies that, that married cowboys and moved out west and became one-room school teachers. Yeah? Both, both of them were school teachers. And they got, me, they got me reading at a really young age. So I don't know if it's, just, if it's luck or if there's a, a correlation there. But if I like to give my grandma's credit if I have any, any aptitude with the language and writing. I think it's their fault. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And I mean, I think that when you start to put in that work at a young age, this is silly because I started reading before I went to kindergarten. And I was, I was one of the few kids that actually was ahead of the game. But I think that it, it, it improves your life skills to a point that whatever you choose to do later on in life, that helps you. Obviously, now you're sitting down to write songs. You've got a, a huge foundation from the very beginning. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. If, again, I don't know if that's my grandma's or if that's just because I was uh, interested in reading. But yeah, I still, I'm still a pretty big fan of books. When you sit down to write... Are you a guy that, that really has to set and take time, or can you jump into a room by yourself or with somebody and just knock something out really quick? 
No, it takes me a while. Yeah. And the, the raw ideas <clears throat> come spontaneously, like anytime, driving or walking or drinking beer or whatever. And then you get in the habit of writing those down, yep. like just the germs, right? Yep. And, then, and then you get into a room for three or four hours a day and just play with them and mess with them until they start to make sense. Yeah. But I can't, I can't sit down and plan to write a song with a blank page just like with nothing because that's what they do on some of the writing sessions in Nashville that I've been on that I didn't really I, didn't, I, just, I can't really do it that way I have to start with an idea that comes to me spontaneously first and then I write all those down and then when it comes time to do the, the work part then I've got a whole bunch of starting places I don't know how they do that I've got friends in Nashville that'll say oh I got a writing session from like one to three today I can't, I can't do anything you're going to sit in a room with two hour, for two hours, three hours, whatever it is, with somebody that you barely know and try to write something that, that actually means something to somebody. That's, just, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Yeah, I've always had trouble with it. I mean, more power to them, I guess. They're making, Absolutely. More, making more money than yeah. I am. <laughs> well, and, I, and I mean, that's a talent and, and yeah. a skill that, that obviously works for some people. The only really successful uh, co-writes I've had are, are friends that I already know. Yeah. And it's more like two in the morning, not two in the afternoon kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like who are some of the people that you enjoy sitting down and writing with? Well, Hayes, for one. Yeah. And I've written with Evan from the Turnpike Troubadours. He's a good friend. Yeah. And uh, there's a gal named Jada Dreyer who's a really good friend of mine. She she's, lives in Nashville. She's, uh, she's a horse show lady. She's uh, yeah. also, but also a successful songwriter with, on the radio. But she and I write... Like, have you heard that song, Horse Poor, that I wrote? Yep, yep, she, yep. She, That was her idea. We okay. finished that together. I'm so jealous because that's the one thing. Like, when I was in high school and, and even after high school when I started meeting a lot of people in the music business, that's the one talent that I'm envious. Well, two talents. I wish I could sing. Not a chance. Ask my wife. It's horrible. But I wanted to write. Like, I was, I was going to college to be a writer. I was going to write for the AQHA Journal or something. But I always had in the back of my mind, like, I wanted to write songs. That's just such an incredible gift and an incredible talent. Well, you can learn to do it. Uh, not me. Uh, <laughs> you can't teach an old dog new tricks, man. You know, I, I, I feel... I've given, I've given talks on this before, actually, and written a couple of articles on it. But I'm almost certain that most, most artistic skill can be learned. Yeah. And there's people that's just like, you know... There's people that can learn to play basketball, and they're never going to be Michael Jordan. Right. But, but I th I'm pretty convinced that you, most art, whether it's singing or writing or painting or whatever, can be learned. Really? And, yeah. And I mean, every, everyone has different aptitudes, yeah. different starting places. Yep. But I mean, I'm a, per a perfect example because every bit of my singing is just learned. Like I couldn't, I was not at all a natural singer, and neither was I a natural guitar player. All that stuff is just sweat. Really? Yep. So like you, you, you weren't singing when you were a kid, and nope. it just kind of came to you. Well, it didn't come to me. I just, I just forced myself to learn it. Worked at it. Yeah. Uh, if, if I have any aptitude, naturally, it's probably the writing part. Yep. But, I mean, you, I, that can be learned, too. You, you might not come out the same as someone who starts ahead of you, but I, I think most of that stuff can be learned. Yeah, but, but, but all of it's the same as everything else and anything in life where, like, if you work hard enough... And I think that that's the, the, the mindset missing in society today. Like, if you work hard enough at anything, you can make it happen. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even in singing. Even in singing. Well, yeah, for me, for sure. That's and I'm crazy. not the world's best singer, but I'm functional. Right. You, I mean, you can get the job done. I get it done. Enough to where people want to pay to come see it. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned writing with some of those guys. I, I got to bring this up because... Big news in, in our part of the world, especially here lately. You mentioned Evan 
Turnpike Troubadours putting out the other day that it's starting to look like they're coming back together and getting back on the road. And that's yeah. big in our part of the world. Yeah, it's big everywhere. That's yeah. huge. They, well, they booked a show. They've announced a show in, in Red Rocks, Colorado, right? Yeah. 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 I think it sounds like they're writing music too, so yeah. That's so awesome. That's going to be massive. They, those guys are so beloved. Rightly so. They're a really, really excellent band and great guys. But... Yeah, that's going to be so huge because people love them so much. Like they really mean a lot to people, and, and, and people have missed them. When, when, when an artist goes away, you look. Even I, I don't care who it is. Garth Brooks takes the hiatus till his daughters all graduate. People are craving that music when somebody disappears, kind of goes into the shadows for a while. It's like it's, yeah. it's huge. I think they'll be bigger than ever. I, I, I exponentially. They're going to be massive. Exponentially <laughs> bigger than they've ever been before. But yeah, and, and not that, everybody you know loves a story about something over overcoming adversity, right? Absolutely. And it's not like they didn't do anything that they didn't kill anybody. Right. All, they, no. all they did was miss some shows, really. <laughs> Who hasn't? Yeah. I mean, look at George Jones. He made a whole career out of being a guy that missed shows. It's funny. I wouldn't bring this up, but Evan laughed at it, so I guess it's okay. Okay. But there was one of those memes going around. It was a, one of their promo shots. This is like June 2020. It said it's official. COVID has now canceled more shows than the Turnpike Jupiter. <laughs> it's funny you say he I, only, I say it with love. Yeah, absolutely. Just a joke. Absolutely. But you got you to preface everything and say, oh, this is just a joke. Nobody get offended. <laughs> Golly, I don't know how, how people do it. Like, you know who, who I feel for right now, as random as this is? Stand-up comedians. They can't say shit without getting crucified. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting tough for those guys. Yeah. I feel like they're on the front lines of oh my god of censorship of, is- of issues. just making everybody mad but lighten up people um let's get back to your music we, we talked about some of the guys you wrote with you you've you've collaborated with you know ian tyson yeah uh hayes like you, you've had so many different people that you've recorded with who's your favorite you know, honestly, I think Jada might be my favorite because really? she, she and I really sync well. Yeah, we yeah. we have really good, really good chemistry. We we write really easily together. It's yeah. super comfortable, and and when we sing together live, it's fun because we we get the Conway Loretta thing going. Like the that's awesome. She's sassy, so it's good. Yeah, personalities know, just mesh well. Yeah, yeah. I've known her for a long time. You know what's funny? You bring that up is that my new record that's not out yet is one I recorded during COVID, and it's called it's called Songs My Friends Wrote. Yeah, and it's also a covers record, but it's me playing my favorite songs of all my buddies who are songwriters. Really? Like, like Hayes and Ian Tyson, and uh, who else is on there? A guy named John, John Evans, a guy named Todd Snyder, uh, Fred Eaglesmith, Tom Russell. But anyway, it's all guys I'm friends with that, and I've picked my favorite, mostly obscure tunes that not everybody hears. And I've recorded them with my band, so that's my new that's my new thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Do we know when that's gonna come out? Yeah, I think I think they're doing it one song at a time every few weeks, starting in January. Okay, so first of the year, be looking for it. Yeah. I'm assuming everywhere, iTunes, Spotify. Yeah, it'll be. Do you have a preference? Because because I do. I'm, I'm one of those guys that says, uh, if I have a choice to go buy an actual physical CD, I'm buying that first. I, I'm still old school. But yeah, if you have the chance to do it. Yeah. But a lot of times, I mean, if you go to the band's show, you can do it. But it's hard. It's hard because otherwise you got to order it. And yeah. Whereas you can just click and hear it, I guess, right? But I'm, but I'm, I'm one of those guys. Drive towards iTunes because I don't know why. Maybe in my mind, because it costs more money. And I just assume that's better for the artist. I don't know. You know, 
I don't really, I honestly don't follow that closely enough to know the mechanics of which one's better. Like in terms of the, what the artist gets, I'm not yeah. really sure I can tell you. My, a, man, my management could tell you, but it's a ridiculous conversation that I just brought up. But I mean, selfishly in my mind, like I want, like if I'm a fan of somebody, I want to be able to help them as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Well, we all appreciate it when people come to the live shows and buy t shirts and buy vinyl yeah, and stuff. Absolutely. So that's the best way to support us. Absolutely. Um, I'll, selfishly, I'll tell you. One of my favorite songs that you've done is Bible on a Dash. <laughs> I, I, and, and it struck me because you mentioned Tulsa right in the beginning of right. the song. That was Hayes' idea. Was it really? He wrote that with me, yeah. You've got several songs that mention Oklahoma. Don't you have a song called Oklahomans? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. what is it? I mean, is it just a... I just got a lot of buddies from there. Yeah? Like lots, yeah. I don't know why, I just do. But, but I love that song, uh, Bible on the Dash. It tells such a, a, a cool story and a fun story. Um, I just think that's such a cool song. It kind of works. It, it kind of works. It's cheap insurance. Yep. Hey, Hayes always in, introduces the song by saying it's for the outlaw on a budget. That's right. That's exactly right. I like it. But I, I can't listen to it and not smile. Um, the Book of Mormon works in Utah, too. <laughs> so you keep one in the back pocket. Just the idea, the, I, people probably don't know what we're talking about. The idea of the song is that if you're on tour and you're in a scruffy band and the van's in bad shape and you get pulled over by the cops. If the cops see like a Bible on the dash of the vehicle, yeah. they think, oh, these boys are all right and let you go. Yeah, and, that's, and that's, I love when they say, you know, well, what kind of music do you sing? Christian music, sir. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I bring that up to ask you, what's some of your favorite songs that you've cut? Of uh, mine? Yeah. Um, like if, if, if I had to right now tell a brand new listener, hey, go listen to this song first, what would um, you pick? There's a couple. One, there's one called Getting Down on the Mountain that yep. I like. It's quite relevant these days. Yeah. Uh, there's one called The Truth Comes Out that I like a lot. Um, there's one called 90 Seconds of Your Time that yeah. I like a lot. Yeah. I, I, like, I like that song, 90 Seconds of Your Time. That's such a catchy tune. It'll get in my head and it'll be there all day. And I'm okay with it. Well, that's a true story. That, that was a crazy thing. because it, it involves Evan again, actually. Yeah. He and I went on an elk hunting trip three or four years ago in Idaho, and the, our guide was um, this ex-army ranger guy who's a friend of ours. Right. He's uh, super, super capable, but also a guy you sort of want on your side. He's a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we were out there way up in the Idaho mountains for eight or, eight or ten days, and near the, like day number eight or nine, all the, all the mules and one of the, one of the horses got, went missing. And we spent the last two days tracking him instead of tracking elk. We thought someone had stolen him or something. And he had a big 44 on him. And he, he was talking the whole time about how great it was going to be to walk into somebody's camp and find all of his mules and blow them away and stuff. So after a day of this kind of talk, I was like, I need 90s. I'm a polite Canadian. So I said, Kurt, I need 90 seconds of your time to make sure we're not actually going to kill somebody because I don't want to be an accessory to murder in the States much. And uh, he said, oh, we'll just shoot him in the leg. So. But but the story is about is of that song is about how we um, you know, his his perspective on finding his mules and punishing the people that stole them. They, okay, so so how how where were they? they Where'd you find we them? Didn't find them because me and Ev had shows, so we had, so you didn't shoot nobody. No, we didn't. Well, shoot that's anybody. boring. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Anticlimactic. They found the mules a couple days later. They'd all they'd all gone home, but they had none of them had 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 broken their leads. They all came untied, which is bizarre because. You see one or two maybe getting untied, but the whole, the whole train of them each getting untied individually it doesn't make much sense. They didn't break the leads, right? So, and we all tied them up 
tied our own up. So, and we all know how to tie up animals. So it's very unlikely that they just all came untied. Yeah. So I don't know if it was other hunters that were just jealous and making a point and just untied them and they all went yeah. home. But they found them back at the base camp two or three days later. Really? We, we still don't know what happened. That's odd. Yeah, it's really odd. Strange. That's what the song's about. Yeah. Huh. That, that's cool. Um, there was... Did, the, the song Rodeo's Over. You write that? Yeah. There's a line in there, and I wrote this down. This is the one note that I took. I wrote this song, the, the line of this song down, and it, this, it struck me a long time ago, and this is maybe one of my favorite lines ever. Take from the lessons and be glad of the memories of the days that we rode in the sun. After today, there ain't no man can claim that we didn't have us a good run. I think that's one of the coolest lines I've ever heard in any song. It's interesting because my mom, my mom engraved that on my dad's gravestone, actually. Really? Yeah, a part of it, yeah. Pretty cool, huh? That's really cool, and it makes me like it even more. <laughs> yeah, that song's about... You know, when we put on the... Lo- Dad, was the Dad would put on the local rodeo in town every year, and uh, it, it was always... I had really strong memories of the, of the Monday morning after. It was yep. so sad for me because that was my favorite part of the year because there's right. so much going on, and... And, and then, every, you know, Monday morning, all the cowboys are down the road and just back to being in your small town by yourself again. So yeah. that's, that, that's what the song's about, that, that sadness of, of uh, an event. Same with, same with if you've ever stuck around here till yeah. the Monday, yeah. it, it's just kind of sad, right? Because yeah. everything's gone. Like, just poof, overnight it's gone. It, it's weird. Like when my grandfather passed away, he, told, he, he knew it was coming and he told the, the preacher, you know, in the hospital bed, he said, you got about 15 minutes to do your deal. Because all of my cowboy friends are going to have their horses saddled and in the trailer, and they're going straight to the roping pen as soon as you say amen. <laughs> and so the preacher, he told that story, and he said, I got about 15 minutes to get up here and, and kind of explain what we're doing, whatever. And he said, he said, amen. And the guys got in their truck. They went to the roping pen, spent all day, all night, you know, roping. But I remember, like, the next day just being, okay, that's, that's the finality of it. And, and I just kind of missed that day of seeing my grandpa's friends just kind of celebrate that life. There's a real downer to, to a lot of things we do in life. But it's, it's real in the sense that you've got to stay in the moment and really enjoy every breath we take. Yeah, that's kind of what the song's about. Yeah. It has, it has resonances of my dad retiring from bulldogging too in there. But yeah, it, uh, it's about, I feel the same at a festival. If you're at a music festival and you're there the whole weekend, you're there an extra day, the Monday is always super depressing because yeah. you're on such a high with all your friends and hanging out and it was such a good time and then it's just all gone. It just disappears overnight. It's, it's weird because, I, and I'm assuming it's the same in your industry, like if we do Madison Square Garden and there's 15,000, 16,000 people there, there's this high that you get being in front of a crowd that when you get back to the hotel room, there's just such an adrenaline dump. Or, yeah. You know, it's just, it's yeah. a weird feeling. But it, it's real. But the good news is you get the high, though. Oh, man. So. It, and it's, it's so much fun. Um, we mentioned some of the writers, some of the people you've collabed with. If you could dream scenario, record, write, record with one person, live, dead, whatever, who would it be? Probably Marty Robbins. Really? Yeah. That fits. I'd like to write with Marty. That's really not that shocking, actually. I've got a number of gun, gun play songs. Yeah? So does he. <laughs> yeah? So write a gunfighter ballad with Marty. That'd be cool. Really cool. Um, anybody that you, uh, let's go to uh, as a fan, anybody that you've never seen that you want to see? Obviously. Alive? You know, 
Yeah, obviously. You know, know. strangely, this is going to sound stupid, and it's not all that out of reach, but I've never seen George play. Me neither. Me neither, and it it bothers me. Me too. Every time I I can, or I'm in a place where I could see him, I'm at work. I have no excuse, because I'm here every year, so i got to make that happen one of these times. Better do it quick. Yeah. And, And what I love about him... No big, huge pyro, no show. It's just a round stage and a bunch of yeah. really talented musicians. I like that, too. I mean, I, I like a big light. People like a light show and everything, and that's cool. But I, I like it when, like, Willie's the same, right? Yep. Willie's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Every time I see him, same. And there's no pyro. There's yep. no smoke. It's just him ripping. But on the flip side of that, one of the best shows I've ever seen, I hate to admit this in public, one of the best concerts I've ever been to, Nickelback. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, those guys are from my neck of the woods, hey? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it, really, it really was. It was one of the best shows I've ever been to. Yeah, a different kind of show, right? Way different, way different. It's funny you say that because the drummer on my first three records is, was the drummer. He's left the band now, but he was with them through the glory. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's, it's we're from a small community. Really? Yeah. That's in fact, cool. In fact, when I was starting my Western band and writing those songs, his name was Ryan... He was my drummer for years, and then, but I was doing it on the side because I was still in the rock band, so it right. wasn't keeping him full time employed. Right. And then he started doing going to Vancouver and making these demos and playing shows with this with this other band, and pretty soon it got busier and busier, and then all of a sudden, boom! Nickelback's massive, and it was really it was Nickelback all the time. Yeah, that's crazy. That's I had no idea. There, there was a couple times. There was a few months where I was having to call Chad, the singer, because trying to coordinate gigs with my drummer. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's right? crazy. Um. The other artists, I was going to say one of the best shows, obviously not country, western, anything like that, but one of the other uh, best shows I've ever been to personally was Bruno Mars. And if you have a connection to Bruno Mars, I'm calling you a liar. <laughs> I don't. Uh, Bruno Mars. <laughs> do you get into other kinds of, kinds of music? Or? Yeah. I, I still listen to a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. And I like, uh, I like 60s jazz quite a bit now. Like really? Like John Coltrane. And- Older you get, it kind of circles back around. Yeah. And I really like I, like, I like traditional Irish music a lot. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's cool. Um, okay, we're, we're starting to kind of wind things down. I know you gotta, you've had a busy few days here uh, in Vegas, but moving forward, if somebody's new to the world of Corblun, how do they keep connected with you? How do they follow along? First thing they got to do is learn to spell my name because it's hard. It's Charlie Oscar Romeo Bravo, Corb. Lima Uniform November Delta Lund, so it's Corb Lund. Because that's hard to... People can't... It's kind of mumbly, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the name. But I'm on Spotify and I'm on I'm, I'm, iTunes and YouTube and everywhere. So. Instagram, all yeah. that? Yeah, I'm easy to find. Easy to find. And there's no other core blunts out there to confuse me. I, yeah, I, there's no way you don't have a blue check mark. Um, what, what do you get the most? What's the confusion you get the most? Do they call you something different? Well, <laughs> it's funny because <clears throat> I can't remember which is which, but I know that iPhones autocorrect my name... To corn, I think one of them's Android is, and one of them does corn, one does cord, and the and, and the other one does land, and the other one does lend. Oh my God! So yeah, corn. Just go with the corn star. Gord Lang. I I have a shirt actually, a T-shirt that says WTF is a core blend. Yeah. And on the back it has like about ten different misspellings in my name all crossed out, and they're all real. That's amazing. Like I'll roll into a town and there'll be a big. Billboard, it's completely... I don't know how that happens, but it does. Just <laughs> spelling in my name all the time. We were, we were talking a minute ago, uh, to kind of circle back, before we started this, we were talking about those moments where, like, 
uh, somebody will come up and say, hey, you, would you take a picture for me? And then hand you the camera. <laughs> yeah. that, that happens out here, not with you in particular, but I, I saw it happen to a musician the other night. Like, that's the funny thing about this world is like, never get too, or never get too big for your britches, I guess, kind of stay humble kind of moment. Yeah, well, it's easy to get in a bubble. It is. And you have to realize there's eight, seven and a half billion people who don't know who you are. So. That's exactly right. There's more people that don't know who you are than there are that know who you are. Well, I'm glad that, that I am one of those people that know who you are. I <laughs> truly enjoy your music. I, I enjoy um, today being able to sit down and actually get to visit because we, we don't run in the same circles often enough. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, we're going to wrap things up here from the Doghouse Saloon inside the Resorts World live from Las Vegas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot now. Do you mind playing one uh-uh. before we before we kind of tail off into no. the sunset on this? What are you going to play? Well, I thought I might play the rodeo's over. Okay, cool. All right. The rodeo's over. The folks have gone home, and the cowboys are all down the road. Well, boys, it was a good. We kicked a hole in the sky. And even the rank ones got rode It was as wild as they come And it was almighty western And none of us thought it could end But finish it did With a bang and a whisper And now I must leave you my friend We may do it again In some future season But somehow It won't be the same Cause our draws will be different And our injuries healed And it's likely The weather will change So take from the lessons And be glad the memories of the days that we rode in the sun Cause after today there ain't no man can claim that we didn't have us a good run can always go further out west And I'll meet you out there in the vastness somewhere I swear it, but first I must rest The rodeo's over, the folks have gone home The cowboys all down the road. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, man. I love that. I appreciate it. Uh, again, just appreciate you hanging out with us today and doing this. 
You're going to be playing right here, actually, right? Yeah, 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock? Yeah. And I'm playing a song at the Perf on, uh, tomorrow, actually. Okay, so, so you're going to play out at the, at the Thomas and Mac? Yeah, yeah, after the anthem. How cool is that? That stage that comes down. Uh, how cool is that? Yeah, it's really cool. My, my buddies, I'm kind of nervous, actually. <laughs> really? Well, my buddies told me they did the show before, and they run that thing pretty quick, yep. eh? So they say you finish your song, you you got to run out of there yeah. before the grand entry starts. Yeah, that's I, my buddy Glenn Templeton. He opened the show last night, okay. you know, and there's something cool about that big stage coming down out of the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, being there, but it's it's a it's a go, 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 go moment. I mean, it's it's short and sweet and to the point. I'm, I'm playing, i got to get on a red eye tomorrow night after the rodeo and go to Nashville because I'm playing the Ryman for the first time. Wait, what? I'm playing with a guy named Coulter Wall there. Yeah. But I'm actually more excited about playing at the NFR. <laughs> man, that's a, that, that's a tough one. That's a, that's a hell of a week, man. Yeah, it's a hell of a week. I mean, you do my podcast, obviously. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but you've been busy already, and yeah. now you're going to open the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and play the Ryman. Yeah, within 24 hours. Holy crap, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, all of my NFR stuff was set up, and then and then Coulter texted me and asked if I wanted to play, and you can't turn that one down. No. So I had to rearrange a bunch of stuff. And that's the holy grail, man. And then I'm back here on Saturday playing again. Worth it. Yeah. Worth the quick trip. Sleeping, I'm dead. That'll, it'll be worth it, man. Thanks again for doing this today. Uh, looking forward to seeing you here, right here in this spot here in just a little bit. You bet. Uh, everybody at the Doghouse Saloon, thanks for putting up with us for a little bit. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in on iTunes, Spotify. Again, it's the Matt West Now podcast. We'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks, thanks. buddy.